The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Welcome into another episode of Story World. Steve Schramm here with my boy Al. What's up, man? It's your boy Al doing well. How about you, Steve? Sweet, man. Is your real oh, name Steven or is it Steve? It is Steve in. I got you. It is Steve with also an N. Um, so, um, no, no pH is allowed. Okay. No yeah, pH is allowed. So, S T E V E N. Yeah. Excellent. You can call me Steve or. Shraminator or Shram and Ham Ham or just whatever you want to. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about, so for those who don't know, me and Alex are obsessed with meat. Um, we 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 send each other pictures of our meat all the time. Right off. And um it's it's our wives have started to find out though, so it's a little bit a little bit of a problem. It's it's gone. Uh, yeah, it's gotten pretty awkward. Anyway. Uh, we were just talking about how we should do a live stream sometime with uh eating while we're eating meat and telling our stories. So be on the lookout for that coming soon yeah, to a yeah. Story World podcast near you. Okay. So for this episode, I'm super excited because we're talking about the small screen Star Trek, the next generation. And this is easily one of my favorite shows of all time. I finally conned Alex into watching a couple episodes with me and I'm super stoked to talk about it. As am I. Um, it's weird. I remember seeing Star Trek on TV growing up and all through high school, just an episode here and there. And I just, I don't think I ever sat down and watched more than two or three minutes of one before switching the station. And it's yeah. odd because uh, you've always watched and read totally different stuff than me. And with the one thing that you would think I would have gone into, because it's, you know, considered nerdy Star Trek, I didn't get into, but you did. So I'm uh, I'm glad that you showed yeah. me the first couple episodes, and I'm interested to kind of hear what got you into Star Trek. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're going to talk about that, and then I want to share a little bit about why. Like, it actually was funny because we kind of went through a bit of a process deciding where we should start mm -hmm. with Alex. Okay, because I wanted to start him. I, I, we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a minute, but but we're going to talk about that. Like, why why did we choose the next generation of all the Star Treks to choose? Why did we choose that to start? So we're definitely going to talk about that. Don't let me forget about that, Al. Um, all right. I won't so, Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> so, so, um, so Star Trek was, is just another one of these uh, shows that it's like, I mean, it's impossible to grow up and it not be in your periphery, right? Like you, I grew up in the nineties, like you're, you're gonna, whatever, like Saturday morning cartoons, you're going to see commercials and whatever, like it's always going to be just in the background. I kind of put that in the same category as like Stargate and Battlestar Galactica, all these other shows. I've still, I, I haven't even seen, um, uh, those other ones either, which is kind of interesting. Um, but Star Trek was one of those. I know I always knew it was there. I always kind of like 
figured it would be interesting because I've always loved astronomy and space and star. Like I, you know, my mom used to take me to the to this um, you know, Cape Canaveral and all of that, like the Kennedy Space Center, growing up. And so I was always into that stuff, um, but never really got into Star Trek. And so the way that I ended up getting into it, so many of you uh, know, we've told you before that I used to play music full time, and uh, the family that uh, I used to play with uh, was the Easters. And the Easters owned a recording studio. And my uh, my best friend's dad, he was, he's basically like like my dad, um, you know, for 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 lack of a better term, he's basically like a dad to me, um, Russell Jr. So he has always been a huge, huge, huge Star Trek fan. And like what he would do, like this is so funny, is so he. Um, he built a recording studio and he had a, a pretty good recording studio operation all throughout the eighties um, in Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is where I, uh, where I spent like my teenage years and stuff. So I went to high school and all that. That's where they're from. And so he built a, a big recording studio there and we always joked about it um, because so I, I, I came around after those days, but they would always tell stories about how he would have uh, Star Trek playing in on the tv in the control room like so the groups would be out in the in the booths recording and stuff that came in there and he would be in the control room engineering but watching star trek uh at the same time and for as long as i i used to spend a lot uh of time again in my especially in my teenage years and in my 20s i spent a lot of time over at their house and stuff and he always had star trek on and so eventually, um, my, my best friend Jared, he was like, okay, you're going to have to just do it. You're going to have to watch it, right? And so um, I started watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And I didn't, I didn't start personally with the original series um, because I, I, just, I just couldn't get there. I, I, I really wanted to like it. And I just couldn't take like the little like f floating toy enterprises and uh, the yeah. cardboard background with the little star cut out. I just, I, like, I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, I wasn't, I feel like you have to be a pretty hardcore fan to, to do that. So gotcha. I, so I, so I came upon Star Trek as like, it was just this thing that suddenly was thrust into my life. Like, because it was a, it was a family thing. Every, like every, and this, it was like a second family for me. I was spending all this time there and Star Trek was just like on all the time. Jokes would come up all the time and I would lose, like I, I didn't have any clue what was going on. So finally I was like, okay, well I have to do this. <laughs> so I binged watch for myself, Netflix, uh, on Netflix, Star Trek, the next generation. And honestly, the rest is kind of history. I watched Star Trek, next generation. I watched Star Trek Voyager. I watched Star Trek, deep space nine. Um, and I, those were all like the main series um, that were around in the nineties, uh, next generation Voyager and deep space nine. And I loved them. Now I think at this point I've even watched more star Trek than even some of them have. Like in terms of like the newer, <laughs> when I say newer, I mean like, like next generation, like, uh, excuse me, uh, Voyager and deep space nine, because those series were ones that um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Some people really didn't like them because they were certainly different and followed a different cast and everything. Um, but I always liked them. And so I, so I have seen all of those. Then I moved on to Star Trek Enterprise, which was, I believe, 2000 and like it was early 2000s. Um, and it is kind of like a precursor, sort of like a backstory of the, um, of, of, of sort of 
the beginnings of Star Trek. Um, and so it's a little bit more like down to earth. It's, it's, it's like closer to the time. It's like, a, I think it's set like a hundred years after first contact. So first contact happens. And then a hundred years later, we're starting to explore the stars a little more. And that's where the enterprise series, uh, picks up. So, so that's how I got into it. I, I got into it just because it was around me all the time. And it was kind of like, I really needed to either watch it or I was going to be very, very frustrated. So I watched it and I really fell in love with it. And uh, and we're going to talk about this, so I don't, I don't want to take Alex's point away from him. But legitimately, one of the reasons why I love the show is because it, it, it's like most people think about like Comic-Con and like Star Trek, like really nerdy, like going to Star Trek conventions and dressing up. I would never do that. Like that's not that's just not the kind of person I am. And it's not why I, I like it. I just think it's legitimately a really great show and frankly, a really, really great series. So uh, there's lots of new ones on now. There's 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 some great movies out. There's a lot of great new series out on Paramount Plus, and I just love it. I'm just I'm I'm hook line and sinker into some Star Trek. So I'm excited to get Alex on on board with me here too. Well, like the big thing then is if I even like the first couple episodes or not, right, Steve? That is a question. Yes, <laughs> we must figure out. So so uh, kind of. Following off to where Steve left off, um, the main point that I had, I think it was the first comment that I made to Steve about it. I think I paused the, sh the first or second episode to, uh, to mention this, is that when I was watching uh, the episodes, I didn't get... I've always been a Lord of the Rings fan, so I don't know if I can say this quite accurately because um, I grew up with Lord of the Rings, but um, like when I watch Lord of the Rings, even though I am nerdy about it, I don't feel like a nerd. Like the the movies itself are just pretty unanimously recognized as just great movies, whether you're a nerd about it and dress up as Gandalf or not. Um, I kind of got the same feeling with Star Trek and never having watched an episode and always hearing about the Trekkies and then go into Comic-Con. And then I watched a lot of the uh, Big Bang Theory. And of course, that's a, you know, a television show, but. You know, just the stereotype in there as far as, you know, uh, Star Trek being for nerdy people. And so watching the first couple episodes, the first thing that just really took me away was how unnerdy it was. Um, it just was it really struck me at how great, um, like how real the story was. <clears throat> the one thing I think I might be jumping around here a little bit, but especially in the first episode, when you first get introduced to Q, who I, of course, I know nothing about. Um, I was just, I kind of had to adjust my mindset. I wouldn't say that they were going into anything super deep philosophically, but just a lot of, um, a lot of stuff happening, like rapid fire back and forth about like America's history in like different setting periods that he was like imitating. And so I really had to adjust my mind quickly to a more serious tone to really kind of uh -huh. focus on the subject matter. And so I, um, yeah, just on that point alone, I was really thoroughly impressed with, uh, just how serious and real the, uh, the story and the, the writing was. Yeah. And it, it's always, um, you know, one of the, the sort of core driving factors of Star Trek, um, it's kind of interesting actually, because it, it's sort of set, um, as an opposite tone to, um, conservative values now not in a necessarily um a bad way uh, i guess i guess it depends on what you mean by that but like like so it definitely star trek is it in general is based on more progressive you know 
liberal values, which seems at odd with a lot of what you know people like you and me might believe as as a conservative. I think, nevertheless, regardless of that, the way that it approaches many of these issues is, I think, a very sound way, and it's very philosophically deep. It really it makes you it makes you think. Like in the very first again episode, they're talking about like yes, well, humans used to be so you know x x x x x, but now now humans are y y y y y. And, um, and the whole idea is like, put us to the test and, and see if we've overcome this. And it's like, you know, later on all throughout the series, really, um, and all throughout the, all throughout the franchise, to be honest, you, you often are faced with things like that, where it's like things that are very present concerns for us now, war, hmm. um, hunger, you know, cash, frankly, medical, uh, uh, the the quality and affordability of medical care, these are things that in the Star Trek universe are not issues. Okay, humans, human. I mean, yeah, there's war, but not like, you know, from human to human, right? Like like humans, humans are good, right? Now there's there's war out there in the cosmos, but but humans are good. Now we we're, we're good with each other. We just want to go explore or whatever. You know, we we have all of our basic needs met by default. There are machines that can take care of our um. Um, our needs, like our medical needs and everything that, that like what, what today might require a super expensive surgery that maybe we don't even have the access to technology wise or whatever. It's literally basically like waving a magic wand in the Star Trek universe and it gets taken care of, or it's yeah. like you, you take a pill. Like I remember one particular thing where, um, somebody had a, I forget what series this was in. It might've been the next generation and, and somebody had like a headache or something like that. And it was like blowing everybody's mind. Um, like, because whatever, whatever anomaly or whatever was happening was causing the headache. Nobody knew what to do with it because legitimately like headaches had been eradicated as a problem, like hundreds of years mm. before. And, and so you have little things like that. And so why did I bring all that up? Well, I guess what I'm just trying to get at is like, you were surprised by the serious tone. And I actually kind of just, I think, took it for granted, which was really great about watching it with you. Is you were discovering this, and I was sort of rediscovering it because it's it's like yeah, it's not just nerdy for nerd's sake. Even though that's probably what a lot of people's perception of Star Trek is, it's actually more, um, you know, it, getting at what it means to be human. And if you ever study uh, documentaries, like there's lots of documentaries about you know Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to see that. I mean, you're definitely going to see a a profound um, whether we agree on all points or, or even most points, like a lot of things we would disagree with. Um, but nevertheless, there's a profound, uh, regard for humanity. And I think that's something very, very awesome that totally penetrates, uh, Star Trek. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, like what you said about the headache thing. Um, it, just that simple thing alone. I love stuff like that because, it it sets uh it tells you a story of what's happened in the past with human civilization and it tells you a whole lot just a simple something simple like that of kind of the present mind state of people and how they might react to a cold or even if they do catch a cold like uh i can't think of a example specifically but i know that there were times when we were watching the first lord of the rings movies together and they they are different from the from the books in certain instances but um i would pause that and say hey just so you know because they're talking about the reason why he's mad at this is because this happened way back when, and it just paints a better picture for you to understand like how things make better sense. And, uh, 
in, in one of the things that really helped me, I think really enjoy it well, um, kind of go back to the serious tone of it, but more specifically was the writing of it. Um, not just the, di- well, obviously the dialogue between the characters, but how the story got started, where I think it was a perfect, um, just a perfect setup where you have Q, the villain come in and um, sets up its own like episodic scenario that, uh, that the protagonists have to overcome while at the same time, really providing a excellent background for the world that you're being invited into. Um, I forget specifically, but I pretty much could figure like it was, I forget if it was three or 400 years, like in the future from like where we are now give or take. That's right. Um, and then you kind of understanding of where humans kind of went over the last few hundred years, where they are now. And it told it all in a way where it didn't feel like it was a, it was a bombshell and trying to overload you with all this information. It was very natural. Um, so yeah, I, again, I don't know if you just mentioned the guy's name. I think you did, but, um, I, I forget, but, uh, whoever, you know, wrote the script and just the story structure of it did an excellent job, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, it's, uh, um, the, the original it is weird. Like the, the, the story of how like the original Star Trek, um, it, it, it had, it had it struggled in the beginning. Then it sort of picked up some momentum and then it like, it like died off. Um, it, it was like, it was, I think it was a little bit too far ahead of its time. And then if I'm remembering correctly, it was like in the next decade, like after, after they had stopped production, um, I think it was in like the next decade, they like, they would air like reruns and stuff. Yeah. And then it started to like really gain some momentum. And like it, even though new episodes were being produced, it got like this huge cult following. And that's why late eighties, um, like they were under so much pressure to create something new. Gotcha. Um, and, and so that's why the next generation came out. And, and just interestingly enough, that same exact sort of thing happened. The nineties was huge for Star Trek. Um, just giant. Um, then a few years, I think it was a few years after Deep Space Nine came out, that's when Enterprise came out. And so the momentum kind of kept going. And then after Enterprise, it kind of died off. And there was no new Star Trek again. Um, I think, I think until the 2009 movie. Mm. So I uh, think Star Trek Enterprise, um, let's see. I guess I could just look it up. We have the interwebs right here, right? So uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see why not. Um, Star Trek Enterprise ran, yeah, from 2001 to 2005. Mm. And so there was basically four years of silence. Um, after Star Trek Enterprise ended until the 2009 Star Trek movie came out. And then from there, um, again, unless I am wrong, the next thing after that, after those series of Star Trek movies um, to come about was the Star Trek Discovery um, series. And, and that, I'm trying to figure out when that actually uh, started here. Um, but it was, yeah, so CBS, yeah, so it, it aired in CBS in 2017. So oh, wow. we didn't, so we didn't have a Star Trek show at all between 2005 and, um, 2017, if I've, if yeah, I've got all that right, which I think, I, I think I do. About as long as a gap as between the first and second series. That's, that's, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. I, so what you have, what, what you really see happen is just this pattern of like, 
it can't it's like it can't go away it's like yeah. there has to be you know it's too big it's too big at this point right i i forget pretty much everything about it but i do remember that i did watch the first star trek movie and when it came out yeah and i did really like that i never watched yeah. the other two but i need to go back and watch it that re-engage i think that really re-engaged um that got some uh i mean the diehards were going to be diehards anyway mm. um but that the 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 2009 star trek got some new blood interested in the franchise and i think that's what really led to them being able to to start to make some some serious headway with new uh shows coming out because as far i mean i haven't looked up numbers or anything i mean i'm not that geeky um but i'm pretty sure the new star treks are all performing very very well even despite the fact that you have a lot of the you know the purists or whatever who don't even like some of the new series yeah right um, but they're still seeing some good numbers. And so I think they've definitely done a good job at, um, I guess, you know, not to be too sappy or whatever, but I guess capturing the hearts of a of sort of a new generation of people who love uh, Star Trek. I wonder if that gap between the first movie and when it came out, so eight years or so, if that was, it probably was a good thing. Think about if the first movie came out, and I think it was a pretty good success, if I remember right. Maybe mm-hmm. not yeah. amazingly, but people liked it. And if like a year later, they would have come out with, the new, you know, yeah. series to captivate on it. It might have like dried it up way too early, um, sure. so it might have been worked out for their benefit. And there was two other movies, right? So there was Star Trek. There's actually three it's a trilogy, stars. right? Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. There's three Star Trek movies in the new thing, but they're all pretty disconnected. They're on a different timeline and everything, mm. so they're actually disconnected um, from the from from the series. Yeah. Um, but- Potentially, if you if you look online, there's some anyway, there's some stuff, but um, um, kind of talking about the timelines together and all that. But 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 as far as a show, though, as far as like a start, a regular Star Trek show. Yeah, there was a 12 year. Yeah, 12 year um, dead, dead space there. So um, but but and and maybe before moving into kind of your next next point here um, that that's another thing is that we can talk about is like why we started where we did. So I was wrestling because like for me, so. Full disclosure here, as nerdy of a Star Trek guy as I am, I actually still have not gone back and watched the entire original series. I still, I, <laughs> I feel like I probably should at this point, um, but I, I, I'm just not there, okay? I just, I just, the technology, it's too, it's like it's too old, okay? I grew up, I'm not a digital native, but I'm pretty darn close. It's, and so yeah. it's, I have to, I, I have to be pretty invested, I think, to go back. But from what I understand, a lot of the storytelling and stuff in, in there is great. Um, so I, I didn't, obviously, I didn't want to start there with you because I haven't even watched it yet. Right. Um, I, so I, I was really tr- trying to go between, well, do we start with the next generation? Do we start with, um, because the next generation is sort of like, you know, so, sort of kick, kicks off the modern era of Star Trek, right? Do we start there? Um, do we start at Enterprise? Because with Enterprise, um, you get a lot of the modern. I mean, again, it was two thousand one to two thousand five, so it's a little bit it's a little bit more uh, modern in its production value, and also it's a prequel. It's set as sort of a prequel to like basically the entire rest of Star Trek. So you would get some context. For, for things that like the originals, like, you know, Next Generation in, in 1989 or whatever, or 88, whenever it was released, um, you know, that makes some assumptions about 400 years, basically, of technology and the human improvement and things like that. Whereas Enterprise doesn't make those assumptions. It's only 150 or so years in the future from like now. 
Um, And so, and so a lot of the like tech and things that develops over that 400 year time span, you know, we're no, nowhere near that. And so, so with enterprise, it's a little bit more uh, believable and it's a little bit like, it gives you the backstory a little bit more. So I thought about that. And then I thought about, well, the new series kind of stand on their own too. discovery, um, strange new worlds and uh, Picard. Now with Picard, while it does stand on its own, I don't think you would appreciate it nearly as much without having seven seasons of Picard. As oh, Picard, yeah. In the next generation. So that one yeah. was out. But I thought, well, we could start with Discovery because now with Discovery, you got an awesome storyline, huge production value. I mean, it's really, it's really, really well done. So I think we could have started there. But ultimately, I thought that with Alex, man, if we could go back and watch the next generation, even if we could yeah. deal with a little bit of outdated graphics and stuff like that, I think the the storytelling and and the sort of you know ambiance or whatever of the next generation is just so cool that uh, it would be a great place to start. So that's why we decided to start there. And you could deal with some outdated technological stuff. It, it's kind of the same way. Um, people probably get mad at me for saying this for like video games, but like I've gone back to try to play some really old classic video games. And yeah. just in my opinion, they're just all borderline unplayable. Right. Um, maybe that's a bad way to put it. Like games that are like super well known, I'll play it and be like, okay, this is neat. I can see the appeal then, but I just, I just don't find yeah. enjoyment. But if I go back maybe like 20 years, not 40, but like 20 years and I play some stuff, it's uh, not just tolerable, but enjoyable. And you kind of look right. past some of the things. Same thing, I think, with movies and TV shows. 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, going um, a little bit more in the, the technical storytelling, that's what I, I like. I like fictional stories. So this is kind of right down my my path. Um, I touched on it a little bit, but I really like um, how they introduce the characters. Um, I, I'm not familiar with their names up to this point just because there's so many that were introduced. But um, yeah. Just uh, the way that they introduce the characters and also their relationships within the first episode or two. You already yes. get a feeling of um, like who gets along with who, who might have a love interest with someone or a past love interest with someone. And so just a lot, it, really that first episode packed in a ton of information, but it all felt very uh, seamless and very uh, easy to digest. Um, so I, yeah. it was very very good how they introduced all of that um and then you don't really feel like any of them are like incidental to the story right it's you know it's it's they somehow did a fantastic job of introducing a wide swath of characters and giving those characters depth and even a little bit of backstory it's to me it's masterful i think it's so good with that I think I was asked you a couple of times, like, wait, okay, so is, you know, she like a different race or this or that? Because I was really curious because I needed to get down like the dynamics of everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It was. It's like, I, well, I it answered really it. And then literally in the next scene. Yeah, the next day, sentence, I think it was the next sentence. It was like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of funny. Um, yeah. And then uh, obviously I'm excited for Q to show up again. Like I, oh, I yeah. want to watch all these if for no other reason than just to oh, find yeah. out what's going on with him or it. I don't know. But um, but with uh, but with each episode though, the first episode and the second episode, each one um was just uh, it followed. And again, it's it's formulae, but it works. It followed the typical intro to the problem, and then some bad stuff starts happening. You hit your climax. 
It doesn't seem like there's going to be a way to fix it. And then the problem gets resolved. It's your, it was a very standard in each episode, um, you know, storytelling and they just, they just delivered it very well. Um, and it's, yeah, so just, just an excellent job there. Again, yeah. it's very formulaic, but there's nothing wrong with that when you can make it work. I think, um, um, the, uh, one of the things that Star Trek does really well, um, Oh my gosh, what is it called? What is it called? Um, of the so in, in that standard story structure, I think one of the things that Star Trek does really, really well is especially in these more, uh, in the more episodic series like The Next Generation, uh, the new one, Strange New Worlds, things like that. Um, the um, the, the period of time right before a resolution comes out. I, I can't, I, I can't, I, I keep wanting to call it like the dark night of despair or the dark pit yeah. of the soul. Or I can't remember what it's called in like story nerd terms. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about though, where it's like legitimately the knife has been twisted almost as far as it can go. It looks like yeah. there's no hope of resolution and then it gets pulled out. Um, they, I think, I think it starts, I think they do this masterfully. I think it's the most, it's one of the best things about it is they legitimately have me on edge. Like there's literally no way, there's no physical way that they could get out of this problem or whatever. And then they get out of the problem. Well, well, just even in the first two episodes. So in my mind, I knew that they were going to get out of it. You just, you just know that. Um, but sure. it had a different feeling other movies where I like, for instance, and again, people could argue with me all day about it. that's fine. I'm probably wrong on this. I admit it, but like a lot of the Marvel movies, just even during the climatic parts or like the, the down parts where it seems like there's all hope is lost. It just never really got to me. But for some reason, like these first couple episodes, I was really scratching my head. Like, okay. Uh, uh like friends with Q's challenge, like, Hey, you in 20, within 24 hours, you're going to be challenged with this. What are you going to do about it? And then the problems came up and I really was wondering. I knew that they were going to get out of it, but I just had no idea how that was going to unfold. And it was just, uh, just really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and so just, just to kind of, um, uh, put a button on that. Um, I just looked up in my save the cat writes a novel book. Um, uh, and, uh, indeed. Um, so I was right. It's called the dark night of the soul. Um, okay. or at least that's what I was thinking of. Um, and then, but arguably it's either that or the all was lost. So, um, but but basically the yeah it's that moment the, the darkest hour I'm reading the darkest hour just before the dawn is the moment right before the hero figures out the solution to their big problem and learns mm -hmm. the theme or life lesson right so whatever I mean it's kind of it's you know it's kind of what we're talking about so anyway yeah, absolutely I'm somewhat right so um yeah cool that's great I think there was only one complaint and one question I had. I'll ask you the question first. So okay, yeah, spoilers for everyone. I know we already kind of spoiled some stuff, but just more sure. coming out specifically. So in episode two, did we ever find out what caused the problem with the, uh, with like that disease spreading? Did we find out what the source was for that? Yeah, it was this, um, the, uh, the star. The, so it just star. had to do with the energy that it was emitting. Yeah, something something like that. I figured it did. Like, I just don't remember specifically them saying, oh, because the star is doing this, this is affecting that way. I I think it, yeah. unless I missed a line or something, I just kind of assumed, oh, because the star is going through this phase. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, they talked about that. And it was the, it was the kind of, it was the thing that um, the, uh, the Enterprise, 
um, Kirk's enterprise had gone through a similar thing. And so right. they tried the solution that, that worked for them and it didn't work for, um, um, for them for some reason. And, yeah. and I, I can't, I can't remember all the specifics there. Plus it's really late right now. So, uh, that's probably half of the reason. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely due to whatever was going on with the, uh, with the star. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. And then my, I wouldn't even call it a complaint cause I, I found it entertaining. I just blame it on the eighties. Uh, yeah. was, uh, we both, I think had the same thought at the same time when the star collapsing and on itself just like popped and disappeared. Right. <laughs> it was like, it was nothing. Pretty. I think yeah. I looked at you and you looked at me and I was like, what just happened to that star? The star just got away. It just like, like sucked yeah. itself like it out of nothing. So like, it was, it was I'm pretty certain it doesn't look exactly like that when it Probably. happens. I don't think so. Um, but it is the eighties, so it's the eighties, and so, so it was uh, more entertaining than anything. But yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. all. That's the that's point good. I have for it. Just overall, I really yeah. enjoyed it. So I'm uh, looking that's forward awesome. to watching more of it. Well, you're definitely going to have. So what I like about it, and, and and this is you know, I mean, this is nothing profound. I mean, other shows do this as well, but um, you know, Q um, and, and others, um, you know, uh, the Borg is another really obvious one that's going to come along here uh, pretty soon. Um, these are these are uh, overarching themes that you know visit every once in a while um, in the midst of a very otherwise episodic sort of show, and so I um, I like that. I mean, I you've got you know Discovery is an example of one where it's a lot more serial. Um, you know, every episode sort of builds on the last one and the themes are very much like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very logical flow gotcha. from one, from one to the next. Um, and that's actually a lot of the complaint uh, that people have with it is that it doesn't follow sort of the standard Star Trek formula of, of episodic with a little bit of, you know, serial themes that, that find their way in every now and then. Um, but I think it's, I think it's cool. It's a different style of, of, of writing and I, and I like it. I, I definitely think there's a place for it. And I think there's a place for it in the Star Trek universe. It's just a little different. So, yeah. Um, um, so it's good. One, I'm, I'm excited, man. One thing too, I wanted to add. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, is that, uh, uh, one thing big for me is just realism and, and world world building. And I just really like a solid, um, like a realistic world. And so one thing that I really enjoyed and I hope I get to learn more, if not in this series and other series is just kind of some of the history um, maybe not direct origins, but, um, of some of the races there, um, just, uh, yeah. just really, um, they just seem very grounded, not just kind of like filler. Like it's so easy in sci-fi fantasy too, but mostly sci-fi mm -hmm. just throwing him a random race here, a random race there again, don't shoot me, but like star Wars and I'm, I'm sure star Trek does that yeah. probably at some point down the line, but the, the three or four different, you know, races or, you know, robots or whatever at the beginning, whatever you want to call them, androids. Um, just really interesting. And so I'm just really looking For sure. to learning more about them. Yeah. And there's even, and, and this, I mean, you'll forget about this by the time we get to it in, in the, in the season um, or in the show, but um, it, it, they really do try to explain uh, lots of these things. I mean, you definitely will have um, things come up that, um, that explain like relation, re, you know, relation wise, like, like, mm -hmm. Uh, again, I don't think this is too big of a spoiler, but it's like, you know, it, it's, it hasn't always been that Klingons, um, like Worf, you know, the guy with the, with the funny bone structure and stuff, yeah. like the fact that he's a Federation person is like, 
like that's a pretty shocking thing for somebody who would have started to watch the next generation in the eighties after only having the context of the, um, of the earlier show, because again, there was, Mm -hmm. there was wars and all this other stuff. And so, um, but you even have one episode like way into the series, if I remember correctly, that like it attempts to explain why, like why are, even though there's all these beings, so many different races and, and types of beings across the galaxy, why are they all, you know, for the most part, humanoid? It's like one of those weird assumption questions, and they actually endeavor to answer that question. Mm, that's cool. Um, how how like the original race was was humanoid. So um, it's 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 very fascinating stuff. So I, I'm looking forward to that. That's interesting. Yeah, um, it, it, when did the uh, when did the first series take place? Like in relation to um, Next Generation. Um, like that is a really good time? question. Uh, no, it's, I, I think it would have been a couple hundred years separated although i am not okay. entirely i'm not entirely positive about that but i'm, I'm gotcha. pretty sure it would have been a couple hundred years somewhere around there okay um um separated so yeah um and what's cool is the 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 shows that are airing now discovery and strange new worlds those are more closely related to the timeline of the original star trek oh and, cool. okay and the later so it's it's really if, you, if you're if you're a time nerd like yeah. I am, um, Star Trek is just, it's the place for you. And the water is fine. Get on in, get on in. So. Perfect. Good choice, Steve. Good choice. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So uh, stories of the week, should we yes. do that? Yep, let's do it. Um, oh. I can I can go ahead and step into it first. That's fine. Go for, um, go for it. So um, I kind of, we kind of uh, like to talk about our boy Elon quite a bit. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So something. Speed dial. <laughs> he has me on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice uh, i've lost my energy drink on that one. i know for those of you know, uh, who can't see it i said that as soon as steve was uh sucking down his uh monster and uh almost sprayed it everywhere but uh yeah so um a little bit of i guess i'm leaning slightly towards negative on this although it kind of depends on the situation but um from what i saw elon pretty much put out a blanket statement um, saying like, hey, people have to be in the office at the work site for a minimum of 40 hours a week. Um, Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I heard differing things. I heard that that was to all employees or the majority of employees. And then I saw somewhere else where it was mostly aimed towards like executives and like managers. Did you see a difference between them? Yes, um, that I, I heard that as well. I did actually see a screenshot of the email. Um, and I, I think it, I, I think it applied to, um, I think that, I think it applied to all Tesla employees, but he was pointing out the executive demands at mm-hmm. the, the demands yeah. on the executives as yeah. an example. Yeah. That, that's, that's kind of what I thought. Um, but it, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on this. Um, cause the one part of me. I would say the largest part of me, um, the belly part of me <laughs> is, uh, very much geared towards like, uh, who cares if you go to work, who cares if you're at home, find the best work-life balance possible for you. And mm-hmm. if you get the job done, then that's what matters. Then the other part of me, um, kind of realizes that especially if working for a company, I would assume like Tesla, where you have someone like Elon who is so geared towards 
results and just and being in there and grinding it out where it kind of creates a different cultural aspect for you know his environment that he wants to hold obviously it's his company he can do whatever he wants i'm not saying he's right or wrong in that but just as far as the 40 hour work week um i don't know i i, I kind of i kind of go both ways on it um on the one hand i think you know especially having to force people to go back to work right after everyone's used to working from home and most people are used to that lifestyle and if things are getting done it seems a little kind of drastic to me, but, um, but again, it's, it's his company. Yeah. And so if that's where, if that's where the numbers are kind of flowing, where he sees the most productivity, then, then all yeah. the best for him. But I, and it, out of all the millions of companies, at least thousands of large ones in the country, and then of all the millions of employees, obviously there's not going to be a one size fit all. I'm sure that there's millions of people out there where a 40 hour work week is perfect and probably what they should be doing. But then there's millions of others where that would not fit. So it's a very delicate situation and just a weird, it's a weird blanket policy to put in place. Let me just put it that way. Just, it's just a little off to me. Yeah. Um, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and you, you, it's just a different world. Um, but there's a lot of things. Okay, so so for example, when I, so I'm very much on the side of working for results, not working for a amount of time. The reason is because yeah. it is literally like it is proven that there is waste when you when you pay for someone's time when you pay for the time of a full-time employee there just is waste there can't not be people have to take bathroom breaks people are going to talk people are going to be humans when they're doing human things like being around other humans in the same coffee. environment with each other yes when it, yep. when they, if there are coffees crackers and bathrooms there will be waste uh there will be loss and so it's kind of an interesting thing like in my business um I don't have any full-time employees. I work entirely with contractors and I pay them on an hourly basis. But I there's no waste other than like if 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 they're maybe it's taking them longer to do the work than it would might take somebody else because maybe somebody else is more skilled or something. Um there's waste in that sense, which is a lot harder to detect. But I don't have coffee break waste. You know, right. when my when my contractor goes on a coffee break. He shuts off the timer and I'm not paying for that time. Right. And, and so it's, and I have others who I don't pay for their time directly. Um, they're just on a retainer and they, they get me the result that they're supposed to get me each week. And that's it. They, they get their money. I get my result and I'm happy in, in a sense. I don't care how much time it took um, to, to get it done. And so like, I, a good example of this, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. You and I have talked about it, of course. I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah, I did. Uh, maybe because of the job description. I think I used that as a story of the week. But yeah, a, yeah. basically, a job opportunity came up. I'll just, I'll just rehash real quick. A job opportunity came up with like my dream company. Um, it's basically like my, it's sort of my dream job for my dream company at a, at a great salary. And I, I didn't end up doing it because I'm a small business guy and entrepreneur guy at heart. And I just, I, I don't, 
like I, I it's, a, it's something that I need. So uh, I wouldn't be able to just, you know, give it up. And um, so I didn't apply for it. But, but the point is, is that company's policy is, yo, we work a max of 40 hours a week. And the guy's like, look, if you don't think 40 hours is enough time, then take a trip from Chicago to London or like eight hours a day, right? Like it translates to 40 hours a week yeah. for, you know, and now during the summer, they do a four day work week. But let's say it's eight hours a day, right? Five days a week. He's like, take a flight from Chicago to London. Don't bring a phone. Don't do anything. And you tell me how much time it is. Eight hours mm -hmm. is a lot of time to yep. get meaningful work done in a day. And the point is, is that most people don't really have eight hours at work to work because you might have five or six hours. The coffee breaks. Yeah, they might. Exactly. They might have five or six hours. Realistically, if you have, yeah, if you take like an hour break times, whether it's, you know, bathroom or getting a snack or yeah. just, you know, checking your phone or taking a phone call, another hour, I guess, yeah. an average of chit-chatting with people. Um, yeah, at the very least, at the very least, you're looking at six-hour work week, a six-hour work mm -hmm. day. And, and so I thought it was interesting that at the same time, like you had this one company who's like, yeah, like you work a max of 40 hours a week. And during the summer, you're actually going to work like 32 hours a week. And that's yeah. going to be good enough. And you're going to get all the work you need to done. And that'll be absolutely plenty versus somebody else who says, okay, we're going to do a minimum of 40 hours a week. And you can really show me how awesome you are yeah. by putting in a lot more time in that. Now, I think a very obvious caveat here is this is not an apples to oranges comparison. Okay. The context is exactly. Tesla versus this company Basecamp. Okay. Literally the founders of Basecamp, um, one of their philosophies is that they don't even set goals, right? So, and I like this, by the way, but they don't even set goals. It's like, because uh, the, the goal, goals are often set. And I agree with this goal. When you set a goal, you're setting the goal as the person who has yet to achieve the goal. You become a different person through the achievement of the goal. And then it's no longer the goal. So you always have this moving target. And so instead of the goal just being some random arbitrary whatever number or whatever that was picked out of thin air it's more like no we're just going to show up every day do the absolute best work we can and do it in an amount of time that is reasonable um so that's their entire philosophy their entire mindset and it's driven their business for 20 plus years i mean they're they're an older company than tesla and spacex uh, but with Elon, with with a company like Tesla, we're not even going to go to SpaceX because they, I mean they're trying to go to Mars. But let's just take Tesla. So so SpaceX is the company that's trying to get humans off the planet, and Tesla is the company like they're a lot more than just a car company. Really, honestly, it really comes down to batteries for Tesla, and we can get into that later. But it really with Tesla, it literally comes down to um, uh, a battery capacity. That's that's literally it, right? That is the mission of Tesla is to get a certain amount of electronic battery capacity on the planet so that the planet itself can be sustained for longer. Um, okay. When that's your mission statement, basically like make the human race survive longer. Okay. That's a little bit more epic of, of a, of a right. task than manage your projects. Well, so stuff doesn't fall through the cracks. Those are two different things. And so, okay. 40 hour. Yeah. I mean, if you're working for the company who's trying to sustain the human race for the next hundred years, <laughs> right. okay, maybe we can, maybe a minimum 40 hour work week is reasonable. And you know, you probably, if you do your job well and you work for Tesla, you probably get paid pretty darn well. Um, and, and so it's, 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 it's give and take. Ultimately you can decide to work there or not. I mean, if you get hired, great, if not, whatever, but like, 
you don't have to work for that company. You could go find a different company to work with. So I guess all of that to say, um, I, I'm with you. I think you really just have to contextualize where you're at. At the same time, it's like, um, there's a saying, there's a quote that says that, uh, and I think it actually it's like a Mormon um, leader who said this, which I mean, it doesn't do anything. It's, you know, no shade on the quote. Um, but the quote is that no success can compensate for failure of the home. And um, I think that's 100% true. I mean, if your home is, it doesn't matter what the success is out there. If you're failing in your home to lead your home, to provide for your home or whatever, then you're failing. There's no success that can compensate for that. Um, and, and so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think that the right thing to do is to work hundreds of hours or whatever, um, you know, 80 to hundred hours a week. I don't think that that's the right path for most people. Um, but maybe Elon feels differently. So, <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So mine's quick. Uh, my story of the week, um, is, uh, is to get a little bit of marketing stuff in here. Um, I'm really, uh, one one thing that I'm trying to learn more about is uh, Facebook ads, um, and not just not even just Facebook ads, but but ads in general. Um, and I'm I don't know. I'm, it's kind of weird. Like I, I I do want to learn more about them, but at the same time I don't because uh, I don't really like them. However, they are a quick way to generate traffic. Um, when you have more money than time, you can do that. So I'm I'm, I'm wanting to learn more about it. Um, and and so anyway, one of the things that you can do is you can go to facebook.com slash ads slash library. And you can literally look up, you can see the ads, all of the ads that anybody is running on Facebook. And so, of course, there are multiple different reasons for this and, and ways that you could use this. I mean, the, the primary purpose for it is, is advertising transparency. So you can always see what ads anybody is running to you. Um, but as a marketer, you could use this to... Um, uh, to sort of hack people, to model people, right? To say, okay, well, what's working? You know, so-and-so in my industry is running ads that look like this and they're successful with them. Well, maybe I could I could make an ad that looks kind of similar to this and, and operates kind of similar to this and it would work right. for me too. So you don't want to, you never want to steal, but it's always good to model what's already working from other people and not reinvent the wheel for yourself. And so this is a really neat tool in your business that you could use to just see what kind of ads other people in your industry are running. And um you know, that's to cool. use it to make something of your own. So that's what I'm doing with it. So yeah. Actually, yeah, I just copied the link and did a little search and that's, it's just pretty yeah. cool. You do it's pretty, yeah. It. It's, it's real. it's really cool that you don't have to like necessarily follow certain people or whatever to see what their ads are. You it's just go perfect. legit, type in their name, search for them. It's a really neat and easy to use tool and you can, um, you can see what's up. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it then. Yeah. For, for this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you loved our ramble about Star Trek. I am, I for one am all about it. Uh, excited about the future of, of Star Trek watching with my boy, Al. It'll be and, fun. Um, I'm sure we'll have more to talk we'll, about. Maybe we'll eat some meat while we do it. Maybe we'll eat some meat while we do it. That would be so exciting. All right. So cool. Okay. My friend, um, that's going to wrap it up for this one. You guys, thank you so much for watching or listening or whatever you're doing. Uh, take care. God bless. And we'll see you next time around. See you next time.